man, yo man, what we gonna talk about right here? We gonna talk about the shit that got had before the game even gotta get underway. Before you even draw your opener. Oh, that's right, before anything happens, you gotta shuffle them up. Shuffle you know what I'm saying? You got the ripple, the overhead, and then you shuffle the miles, cause they ain't shuffled enough. Yo, yo, that's looking grass, but mine looking awesome. Turn one visions and it turns two blossom. You got no land, but you wish that you got some. I needed duels, but you know that I bought some. Colors in my hand, I'ma draw some more. I'll draw one, two, three, four. Greetings for another exciting episode of the Men of Magic. Representing from MGG Cast, we'll be interviewing Patrick Chapin and Bill Bolden, a.k.a. Spruik, who has, collectively, they are releasing a musical album in the very near future dedicated to the theme of, of music of rap music for Magic the Gathering. Should make for an interesting episode and inter- interview. And as a quick background, uh, Bill Bolden has released previously two albums on Amazon and iTunes of, known as Let's Throw a Party and Infectipede under the name of Spruke, S-P-R-U-K-E. So you can check those out too. They cover electronic, pop, rock, industrial, and techno-style music from the synth-pop era. And uh, But the albums, I understand it, we're creating is mostly rap, and I would like everyone to say hello. Hello. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> well, let, let's start at the beginning, Bill. Uh, when did uh, this all start coming together with you and Patrick to decide to put the album together? Uh, well, I think where it started was uh, my start came around... Um, 0708 when uh, I was just starting to record all the time recording friends recording uh, projects for fun and you know because I was a magic player and I loved magic so much um, I just on a whim made um, a couple songs about Magic the Gathering just you know uh, for fun like to amuse myself and I did uh, shuffle them up still had all these and uh, never was on the pro tour and got you know a little bit of um, community response uh, enough that was encouraging like I was deciding I was going to keep doing it in the future and then it was around uh, mid last year, Patrick mentioned in one of his Star City premium articles, he just drops in a line at the end. He's like, you know, by the way, it'd be funny if I was to release a uh, magic rap album sometime. And I just, you know, saw the opportunity for collaboration there. I was on Facebook the next day sending him a message saying, hey, if that was uh, not in jest and serious, I've been doing this and we can do it together. Yeah. The the interesting thing about that is, is magic, like, Patrick's talked about this before, where there's untapped territories of magic that have not been touched, and this is one of them. What? How long did it take for the two of you to work together to decide on the songs, um, the lyrics, how this was all going to come together? Well, how long do you think it took from that uh, original message for us to begin uh, putting plans together to meet in person, Patrick? Was it uh, about maybe two months after that? Uh, so immediately responded and was definitely interested. My schedule was very booked for a little while after that, like maybe at least seven or eight weeks after that, uh, from traveling and magic and whatnot. But then, uh, we booked the weekend, uh, was it in November? Yeah. First weekend in November. Yeah. The first weekend in November, we booked a, uh, uh, a weekend where I just fly out to Buffalo where Bill's located and, uh, just spend a weekend out there. And originally, I was just going to hop on, like, maybe hop on one track or something like that, you know, because originally he was just planning on doing this the, this magic-themed uh, hip-hop side project, you know. And I, and I thought, hey, you know, I could definitely definitely swing by and hop on a track. And and then uh, once I physically got out there, it was, I mean, like uh, our creative chemistry was off the hook in terms of, you know, producing lots and lots of ideas and seeing so many different directions we could take this. And just producing a lot of fun, different types of music that, that we were just having a blast doing. And it was pretty clear from, you know, the, uh, the first weekend when we were there, you know, we, we, we were just working on one track, but we realized then that, uh, I mean, Bill even approached me right after he was just like, you know, I've been thinking and we should definitely collaborate on, on the whole project, you know, do, you know, work on the whole, work on a whole album together. And I agree completely. I mean, it was a ton of fun, and the uh, the track was the track was a lot of. I mean, and that track was fairly primitive compared to where we ended up taking it. But then, uh, then I mean, I travel a great deal, so we're a li- and and he works a full time job, so we definitely had to wait until we could synchronize our schedules again. But then we got back together, um, uh, relatively recently, just uh, what was it like maybe a month and a half, two months ago? Yeah, maybe uh, only about together, six like, weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, six weeks ago, 
and uh, and recorded, you know, like in a marathon five day session. And we've been on the phone uh, quite a bit and conversing, you know, by internet, sending, uh, you know, sending MP3s back and forth, discussing song ideas and lyric ideas and beat ideas and creative directions for the album. And because one of the things we kind of did on this one was uh, experiment a little bit, like each of the like a whole bunch of the different tracks are very, very different in style. You know, like there's there's one track that's the uh the sort of stereotypical uh abuse of auto tune, uh kinda like ultra catchy, almost annoying in terms of how catchy, but uh that sort of style and then there's another one that's actually drum and bass and another one that has a very rock vibe to it, or almost DC Boys circa the eighties. Um another one with an actual breakbeat and then uh one with a real smooth uh, delivery and uh, and it was just fun to go experiment with such a variety of styles and uh, and just having so much fun talking about you know our experiences in magic you know sometimes talking about cards sometimes talking about experiences at tournaments or with other gamers or things that come up that people in magic can relate to and that was uh, the yeah, the other ahead. thing oh god oh no no okay. I was gonna say the uh, just like we kept moving from genre to genre like um we would continue coming up with ideas for songs in new genres and new sounds, but we would also keep like shelving lyrical ideas from one song and realizing that's a whole new realm to plumb. Like I, there was at least one example where we were trying to make a song about just a certain part of the game. Like, Hey, we're going to do a song about what happens when you're playing the game. And it's like this. And we just touch on something lightly in one of the verses in our lyrics. And we think, uh, you know what? Strike that. That's a whole song. That's a whole nother track right there. And then you know we turn that track out later in the weekend. So how yeah, many? Yeah. No, so how many tracks? A lot of times when you put an album together, you may have twelve tracks on it, but there could have been up to say eighteen on the final table. Then it got cut down. How many tracks could have been available? And then what did it get exactly cut down to? Well, well we um, ended up at we ended up at like what sixteen. 16. And, uh, how many? 16. Yeah, 16 yep. tracks. And, and then and then there was uh, there was maybe what like about 5 or so that we that we didn't end up making it. Like uh, or I guess like the Kanye track I guess got cut down a little bit, you know, in terms of just using a sample out of it, but between like the Porter track and just the different tracks that that we discussed but didn't end up finishing I and mean, we still have quite a number of projects that we'd like to use on the uh, you know, that we want to explore a little bit more for in the future. Or just or just some tracks that started out promising but ended up not going anywhere as exciting. You know, we wanted to kinda of call it to uh to just be nothing but nothing but stuff that we were really, you know, satisfied with and and Does uh it... yeah, I mean I guess I guess that's where it ended up at. You said you did it in a five day marathon and you were sending stuff back and forth. Uh, the Amount oh, of time. No, no, no. We were we were sending stuff back and forth for weeks beforehand. Oh, it was okay. five day, I went back to Buffalo for five more days, and we just recorded from you know the moment we got up until the moment we went to bed every day. Now, it was actually really funny. We uh, we originally planned on having an intermission in there somewhere uh, because we were thinking you know we're working so hard we would probably it would behoove us to take a break at some point. We were thinking, you know, we started working early Thursday, all day Thursday, all day Friday. Um, Saturday, you know, what if we call it an early night and uh, maybe just chill out or maybe even play some magic or something just uh, to relax? Never happened. We never looked back. We never left the studio. Well, it looks like the the both you have the personality of just – keep pounding it out, let's get it done, let's go for it, and see how it ends up. Not just that, it was a blast. Like, we were having the times yeah, of our lives. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. When, you, when you're having this much fun, I mean, like, I, I don't know how to describe just how much fun it is being in the studio when you're vibing with somebody where, you, like, you're able to, you know, relate these ideas, and they can and riff off that, and they have ideas also. You're going back and forth, and you're creating something that, something with some physical permanence that, is an artistic expression for both of you guys, especially in a in a field that doesn't even really exist yet. You know, like it's I and mean, there's so much room and we've talked about this before, there's so much room for stuff in magic culture, uh, beyond what people are doing now. And we're only like people are only beginning to scrape the surface. And so it's just super exciting to be a part of that, you know, reaching out into more territories, especially on something that 
it doesn't have to be for any sort of like uh, it's not it doesn't even have to be about commercial or reaching a lot of people or anything like that. It's just something we're doing for fun that people who appreciate it who are part of the culture that's just awesome you know that's just that's just a bonus but more than anything it's just you know fun for us the the uh, art of music is i well chemistry like you just said you had natural chemistry to make this work you guys didn't know each other previously before this correct no it was straight out of the blue with that facebook message okay so you didn't know each other you managed to meet together, hook up, found out that this was really good and this chemistry worked. What are the odds of that actually happening? I mean, think about how, you know, diverse society is as a whole. And then to find two people that have a passion for the same thing to be able to make that work. I've got to admit that as an observer of this, that's quite phenomenal. My personal opinion, odds aren't even bad at all. I think it's inevitable we found each other. I, I mean, I think just the, the the thing to take away is being able to speak up, you know, courageously speak. Like, for instance, I mean, Bill wrote to me out of the blue and was just like, "Hey, if you're serious, let's let's actually let's actually do this." And so he had to actually just step up and put himself out there a little bit. And then, like, uh, and he never even would have known to do it if I hadn't wrote in my article that I was interested in, you know, like talking about, "Hey, I'd really like to be doing some rapping next year in Magic." Just kind of throwing that out there. So, I mean, kind of, like, people should, people should speak up, you know? Take chances a little more often and maybe things happen well. What kind of recording uh, studio equipment did you guys use to make this happen? Uh, I couldn't feel that one. Um, I use a uh, Windows 7 PC for any um, recording aficionados out there. My software of choice is uh, Sonar X1. Um, the whole album was done in Sonar X1 with most of the beats done in Reason, although a lot of them are also recorded by me myself. Um, I have a M-Audio audio interface, a couple microphones, including um, a condenser, and a lot of different studio headphones, studio instruments, guitars, basses. The one thing we did almost all the recording that weekend, though, in that five-day marathon session was just... Uh, Patrick and myself in front of that microphone with the headphones on, um, cutting great takes and then playing it back and then mixing and working with what we did. Yeah, I mean, the stuff you can do with reason now, you know, like just like uh, a computer is such an incredible tool now, you know? So, Bill, who are your musical influences? Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, the musicians I've listened to the most in my life is... Uh, the Cure, The Pumpkins, Radiohead, Zappa. Um, my biggest musical influences probably uh, Moby and Fat Boy Slim. <laughs> what I listen to and who uh, has influenced my writing styles are pretty different. But uh, I te- I think I learned almost everything I know from that late '90s electro explosion. That's what got me originally buying samplers and using the computer. Um, since then, I've just delved into every kind of techno knee-deep. I've been dabbling in uh, dubstep and minimal house and progressive trance, all these things. Still love the, the old progressive rock bands, though. Now, you also say you play Magic. On what kind of level do you play Magic at? Um, pr- I would say uh, casual competitive, if that's a thing, as in... Uh, I don't like to play casually, so-called, like kitchen table. I do like to play at tournaments, but I do that very casually. Show up to maybe three or four sanctioned events a year, usually with a borrowed deck. I read every article every day. I'm obsessed and knee-deep with the culture, this community, this game, but I can probably only find the time to touch the cards myself uh, once a month. How did how did meeting someone who's tied into the culture, like like Pat is, to bring you closer to that culture? Um, you know, I, uh, when I, before I met uh, Patrick, I thought maybe I would you know, want to ask him, like, oh, what's so-and-so like? What are various people on the tour like? Or, you know, what's it like? But I, I don't know. Uh, we just had such a task to do, and we were having such a blast doing it, that all the valuable information I think I absorbed was through these lyrics. That's all I really had to know was when uh, we sat down to look at these lyrics sheets, I didn't need to ask him, 
oh, what's it like to hang out with the best of the best and tour the world playing magic? Because I was hearing it executed, you know, through emotion and pa- passionate delivery to me, which is uh, better than any casual conversation, I think. So it actually brings you closer to the game itself. I'd say so, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the experiences that really that helps helps people a lot is just to be able to observe and be close to it at a high level. And in your case, you got it through the music, which is a unique experience. How did... Now, now Patrick, on your end, when you were... Putting the, when you're putting the music together and singing it, did, do you feel the passion from it coming from your own experiences, like he said, like he was reading them from you, like getting the vibe oh, off of it? I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of life experiences that are translated into the lyrics uh, from the tracks that go beyond magic. And a lot of times we use magic metaphors to uh, talk about uh, a lot of areas in my life that, uh, that many of which, I mean, the vast majority of the stuff in the album is directly about magic, but some of the stuff I just use magic metaphor to talk about other, you know, other personal experiences in my life. And, uh, it, I mean, it's definitely nice to have an opportunity, like an outlet to be able to open up, uh, about a lot of stuff that helps shape who I am and stuff that's important to me and, you know, important life experiences. Well, I, I don't want to be future progressive on this, but I will. You've done this once. Uh, what's next after this for the two of you together? I mean, is there, after the album comes out and it does what it does, is there another album down the line? Is there, what's the collaboration next with the two of you? Oh, uh, I mean, there's no question we're going to be collaborating on musical ventures in the future, you know. Like, uh, what form that will take uh, is... You know, like, first of all, it'll probably take multiple forms because there's a variety of different things. You know, like, I could, like, I'd love to do a guest spot on, on a, uh, on a traditional Spruik album. Um, there's certainly the possibility and probability of doing more material along these lines. And, um, and we've also talked about collaborating on, on, uh, on other types of music, you know, like, uh, doesn't have to be all magic together and rap, you know? Like, uh, magic is a common bond between the two of us, but there's a lot of music to be made, and, and making music's a lot of fun, you know? So, well, your thoughts I mean, on I that? no limit yeah. to the possibilities. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to spend more time in the studio with Patrick. Uh, I've probably recorded with a dozen different vocalists. Um, as a matter of fact, if you uh, ever see the cover art for Let's Throw a Party, my first Spruik album... It was a compilation of all the people I'd ever recorded, and uh, all their faces are on the cover. That's how many different vocalists I've worked with. And Patrick's different than all of them. Um, really clicked with him in a way that uh, I never clicked with anybody before. He's not afraid to um, get down and dirty and help me look at the waveforms, the splices, help me adjust the notes. Um, he knows when to let me handle and drive the stuff myself but he has a lot of great ideas you know all around the periphery that i i know that in those five days even though we finished you know nearly a dozen tracks that was not you know even take skimming the top off uh what he's got yeah we definitely kind of had the experience that every track we did made it clear to us of two more tracks that we could do in the future you know like it's the type of thing that at first one of the initial questions uh, Bill, I think, had was, you know, how deep is the well? How much can you actually talk about magic, you know? And I think one of the things we discovered uh, quite clearly was that uh, as far deep as we went into it, there's more than twice, like, we saw more than twice as many songs that we didn't even get to begin yet, because every time we do something, we discover two more things we want to do at some point in the future, you know? Yeah, I mean, if I can make a fantasy analogy here, Working with Patrick is like fighting the Hydra. You don't execute through an idea without two more sprouting out from it. Well, that's good because a lot of times when people collaborate together, like you described earlier with the other people you did previously, you didn't have that kind of connection. And anything executes better in life if the person you're working with, you feel that kind of same kind of vibe on the same level that you know, you'll listen to my ideas and I'll listen, you know, you give back and forth to it. It works out so much better. The, is there a possibility that 
you could be doing this because, you know, they always have the after the after the weekend goes on. They always have the after events. Is this something that maybe you guys could work out that on, say, a Sunday night after a pro tour to maybe put together a small concert or something like that? Has that been discussed? I think it's definitely not out of the question. Like, uh, I think Bill was giving me a hard time about it a little bit before because, like, I have no musical training um, for the most part. You know, I, like, I'm, I, I, I learned things pretty quickly, but when, I, when Bill and I first got together, um, even though I talked about doing all this rapping and stuff like that, and I was familiar with uh, a little bit about writing lyrics and whatnot, never been a performer. You know, I'm not one for, like, uh, singing or even performing, you know, hip-hop uh, live. But after uh, after Bill's coaching, um, like one of the things he said early on is, you know, you're going to have to be able to do this live. <laughs> and uh, and I learned an awful lot from uh, from my interactions with him, and feel very confident now in my ability to actually be able to do that. You know, and uh, and besides, like Bill's been performing live already. You know, like he's you know he's a full blown hardcore musician. But uh, uh, for me to be able to perform live. I don't think it's that much of a stretch beyond, uh, I mean, like public speaking is not exactly in a weak suit. So it's, I guess, a bit of an extension of that. And, so, uh, so I, okay. yeah, I think that'd be a ton of fun to perform sometime. So, Bill, what would it take to put this together to get you and Patrick to be able to do this? Because there's a lot of stuff on your end you have to do in order to get this set up. What would it take? What would be the perfect set of circumstances for you to make this happen? Say, after, say a, a Sunday night after a pro tour event. Uh, so it's the end of the pro tour, and after the uh, finals are all done, everybody stick around for the live performance by the Gathering. What What would yeah. that take? Um, well, it I seems mean, like the, isn't the player meeting like it seems like a player meeting is a more ideal spot than than after the tournament's over, right? Well, that's Simply true. Because, I mean, often, yeah, you know, a huge percentage of people are gone by Sunday. Plus, pro tours are not open performances, or are not open events anymore. Or at least they won't be next year. Um, yeah, I suppose it's possible year. later this year. Um, so it may even be that a Grand Prix is a better, a better venue. Yeah, Bigger we'll crowd. Or depending on how many free sales we can sell. I mean, if we can fill up a club or something. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm not sure it would take all that much for uh, that to happen. I mean, there's a, a couple pieces of equipment between here and there, but that's just the uh, the gear nerd in me who always wants newer and better samplers and keyboards to do the beats live with. Um, without that being a factor, I mean, just uh, making the flow as sick as it could be. The will's there. The performance ability, the delivery is there. And, uh, you know, um, we're sure the community's going to be there. So what uh yeah, but before getting too uh, too off the the track, one other thing I wanted to note about collaborating with Bill that was kind of a a really pleasant uh, experience was the discovery of uh, like that, that chemistry, including like as you said, communication. Something that uh, that was gonna that looked like it could be initially a challenge was the fact that like I haven't been uh, like I haven't been trained in any of this area, but when Bill and I got together. He was extremely good at being able to interpret. Like I, I tried to describe something, like how, like make some sort of sound of what you know, what kind of a beat I was talking about, or I try explaining some concepts, some idea I had, and he was extremely proficient at being able to decode my gibberish and figure out what it was I was talking about. And when you're collaborating with somebody where you both have a lot of confidence in the other person's ideas, and like, um, I mean, that's just incredible. When Bill says that he can do something, I know he can actually do it. You know. And uh, definitely wanted to make sure to mention that before before getting uh, getting past the topic of the collaboration. You know, individually, what was your favorite song to do and why? Start with you, uh, Bill. Okay, um, my favorite song uh, to do the song yeah. I had the most fun doing is "Him to Turok," which I believe you guys have a preview of for your show. Yes, we do. That was yeah, the cool. most fun to make. It's also probably my favorite, or at least in the top three. But um, if you could have been here for what it was like in this studio recording it, um, it was very few takes apiece. We had just um, discovered a really great recording trick that was enabling us to do uh, so much more. And it was really fun because that's one of the ones 
where Patrick got his hands really on the controls. Like he'd been watching me. Work on ever wrote. What's that? That was the first melody I ever wrote. Like, yes. uh, like the melody on that track. I mean, it's nothing complex or anything like that, but I never even knew how melodies worked before, you know, when I woke up that morning. Well, this is, uh, Patrick had been, uh, watching me work and watching me move the things around on the screen, sequence, pick notes out, select instruments the whole time. And as we were sort of arriving at the kind of sound he was describing, I want it to sound like this. I was helping get there, but there was actually a certain point where it's like, you know what? I'm a fast learner. We got in there and shared those controls, and he helped put it all together. And he came up with that melody and actually uh, helped coach me back a little singing it. So it was just the height of the collaboration. It was the point at which everything we learned from each other was reaching its peak. And it was just the most fun to do, and it's probably one of the best on the album. Uh, Patrick, your my favorite? Personal your favorite? favorite? Yeah. My personal favorite. I mean, that's, the track's awesome, no question. And it was definitely... Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's my fun. It's my favorite that we're both rapping on. And, uh, but my favorite, my favorite track on the album, both to record and, uh, looking back is definitely the last track on the album, the storm. Um, it, it's, uh, there's a lot of, you know, it touches on, on some, on some pretty personal and emotional, uh, events for me, but it also has just an incredible build up to it. And an awful lot, like it's got, and elements in my life played out through the Nassif match. Uh, like it reenacts the, uh, the the match between Gabriel Nassif and myself at Worlds in uh, 2007, and uh, it ends up lending itself to a pretty epic feel, you know. And it was it was a uh, it was just awesome recording it. Bill, when he was recording that, your thoughts on it? I, it was. I agree completely with what he said. It was uh, extremely. Uh, the way he was uh, – let me back up. We all know from his years of article writing that Patrick is uh, really skilled with words and word play. And when he got a chance to do this you know, lyrically instead of in article writing, the things he's pulling off – as an observer of what was happening in these lyrics, and sometimes helping co-write or adjust, but mostly just seeing what he'd come up with, the way that he was – taking the specifics of this match um little things like the play-by-play and what happened and tying them in through structure of the song and wordplay into basically the story of a person's life um they merge so well and the whole song when you hear it it winds up being really cathartic it's like a three-act play where you're born you live and you die like all in the span of a song it was a blast to record now, did you tell Nassif that you wrote the song about that about that match? Yeah. And what did he yeah, think? He, he, uh, his response was "LOL." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he hasn't yeah he hasn't heard the finished song yet. Um, he's busy planning his uh, his wedding, but uh, and being all French. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, he's he uh, the earlier track that he listened to, "Innovate." Uh, he got stuck in his head for so long when I was testing out in France. He just kept singing it. Every, like, every, we'd be walking, and, and the thief would just chime in in the, innovate, innovate. So, yeah, so he's enjoyed it so far, but uh, he said that his response was LOL, and then uh, uh, Mize, and he's looking forward to it. Uh, and that's one of the great things that you can do is you can, I mean, like you've got so many stories to tell. And you can tell them through music. It's, I mean, it's a great way to be able to, like you said, vent out, reach out, and hit people in a different direction. Now, where, where can we find this? Where can we find this album? Where would it be for sale? May 2nd. It's going to be on uh, a variety of places. You know, it's going to be on Star City Games, iTunes, Chain of Fireball, possibly a few different distributors. And, uh, um, but, you know, the, I, Bill, it's not clear for uh, 100% if it'll be on iTunes on May 2nd, right? No, iTunes has uh, iTunes doesn't list their turnaround times. They process in big batches every so often, and it's kind of unpredictable. It can take anywhere between like two and six weeks, so they may not be up right on uh, May 2nd. They'll probably be a week late to the party or something. But hey, that's more business for uh, Star City and Channel Fireball and the others. So. 
Yeah, and it's it's just going to be uh, nine ninety nine for the album. Um, like uh, it's mostly like we're just trying to have some fun, you know. And uh, I think people are going to get a big kick out of uh, big kick out of it because um, it's not just the type of thing that it's like oh haha, like one time it was funny because it's about magic or whatever. I think that I mean like I I I really believe the music wheel will stand on its own, you know. And there's a variety of different tracks depending on what people's musical interests are. But uh, I highly recommend checking it out, especially um, you know people who are familiar with with Bill's. Uh, the older tracks, you know, he still had all these and shuffle them up, and uh, and then hearing like him to Turok and uh, and Jason Mindsculptor sing a little bit of a different variety, um, and uh, I think uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Will you be signing the CDs a lot like you do your books? <laughs> Quite possibly. I think initially we're we're the first wave we're doing just an MP3 download. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of gauging from there, um, but the uh, we should have the CDs at some point in May. You know, like uh, that's just a step further behind because the uh, the amount of time it takes to physically construct them and to make the packaging and and uh, and everything like that. Plus the fact that uh, I mean, the people who want it initially, waiting to get it sh- like paying more to have it shipped to you instead of just getting it instantly. Uh, I mean, initially anyway. The uh, having it like doing it as an MP3 CD just made more sense. Okay, now, Bill, will you be going somewhere with uh, Patrick to discuss the album, like uh, at one of one of the events he's going to be at to talk a little bit about it in case people want to talk to you more about this. I do definitely have the aims of doing that um, over the next few months, trying to get at a few of the same events as Patrick. I haven't worked it out um particularly yet although i just began making plans for how we're going to do grand prix providence with my friends Uh, first i'm going to have to obtain a legacy deck um but uh probably going to be making grand prix providence probably going to be making um pittsburgh if all goes well in between then, maybe i make a star city open or something if they ever come closer to buffalo um no no concrete plans yet, though. I mean, it'll be fun, though. We're definitely going to get it done. Yeah, because I think yeah, one well, of the... It, oh, go ahead, Patrick. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, we, I mean, keep in mind, um, even though he's in Buffalo, it's, I'm not even really in Milwaukee. Like, I I mean, I'm, I, I definitely live in Milwaukee, but I travel so much. You know, I'm on the road more than I'm at home. So, and Bill and I uh, communicate and uh, work on stuff quite a bit, even from states apart, you know? Like, just by way of phone or internet or whatever. Well, I think it would be nice for the people that enjoy the album to be able to to see Bill and you at the same place to, you know, talk more about the music. And it's like any time that a person gets an opportunity to meet the people that are involved with something they enjoy like that. It's just an opportunity, a more marketing opportunity, I like to say. More marketing. Is there anything else about this album that... Uh, any, well, you didn't seem like you had too many difficulties with this. I was going to ask if you had any difficulties with this, but was there any difficulties, major I mean, difficulties? No, not at all. I mean, it was uh, hard work, and as much as it took a lot of effort and, you know, sticking to God. it for five days, but it was just a, a blast. I mean... Oh, he's being humble. It was easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh... Is there anything else about this we can uh, promote for you on this as far as the album goes? Um, we talked about the possibility of you guys actually doing this at a GP or a PT. Uh, we talked about when, where the album could be released. Is there anything else we can talk about the album that, that people should know about it? I mean, there's two videos on uh, YouTube so far. There's the Jace the Mind Sculptor video. Um, and there's also uh, Still Had All These, just went up today. There's going to be a few more released after that. Um, I don't know. Anything else you can think of, Chapin? Oh, uh, no. No, I just, I mean, just a lot of fun. And um, looking forward to uh, to people getting their hands on the whole album, you know? Like, uh, it's, it's it's definitely definitely been a pretty amazing experience. And 
and so far the people that we've uh, that we've shared the album with have gotten a big kick out of it and uh, really enjoy it. And I'm looking forward to, uh, to even more people getting a chance. You know, like it's not even just about the music, also because I mean, don't get me wrong, listening to music's fun, but it's also just uh, uh, it's like it's almost like having 16 articles that you can't wait for people to give their feedback on. You know. Dude, uh, Bill, you want to run through all the songs quick? The name of the songs, all the songs. Oh, I don't know, Chapin. Are we releasing the track list yet? Oh, uh, sure. Why not? Absolutely. All right. Well, um, here's a rundown of what what this album contains. One second. Let me just bring it up. The music gathering. We are trying to you pull will... some exclusive here, so you know, come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This album, you will hear hits like uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor, still had all these, Him to Turok, Don't Drink and Draft, Brewmaster's Delight, Road Trippin', Innovate, Mythic Rare, Shuffle em Up, Checks Yourself Before You Firex Yourself, Mize, Money Draft, Never Was on the Pro Tour, The Calm and the Storm. I want to hear I'm a big fan of the introduction, too. There's also there's an intro track. The, the just before all that, the introduction of the album actually I think has one of the thickest verses on it. But. I want to hear "Don't Drink and Draft." That just, <laughs> that just they're just crack you up. yeah. There seems like a story within a story right there within a song. <laughs> there is a story within a story, <laughs> but uh, the closest you'll get to hearing the story behind the story is what you can puzzle out from the lyrics. I'm not sharing any more than that. Why do I have a why do I have a feeling you guys are going to be getting more questions about every lyric of the song and trying to figure it out than actually enjoying the music? They're going to be like, "Wait, what's he talking about here? What's going on here?" Actually, that that song is one of the sickest beats on the album. It's probably my second favorite beat musically, just from a strictly like rhythmic perspective. After "Him to Turok," uh, "Don't Drink and Draft" is oh, it's just got a great sound, man. I, I think I know too many people that that would apply to completely. <laughs> Don't drink a draft. Oh, man. The, the well, track guys, is a public service announcement. It, well, you have to put one on there, right? That's your filling your obligation for that. Right. <laughs> well, on that note, is there anything else we want to talk about this to promote this anymore? Anything else I can we could do for this? I mean, no. of course, put the album on. The first song on there, the Hymn to Turok. Anything else we can talk about this with, guys? Uh, I think yeah, that's much to see like this. Uh, what are you, Bill? No, I was going to say that about winds it up. Uh, I'd say uh, play that hymn to Turok and uh, get excited. Yeah, well, like I said, I'm I'm looking forward to it, too, because as much as you talked about that one, I want to hear the Don't Drink a Draft song, like, <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to the whole album coming out. <laughs> As a, as a as a player, I've seen the effects of people drinking and attempting to do lots of things. So drinking and drafting, yeah, that would be interesting. And also money draft that 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 should be another one of those interesting story ones for you guys to talk about. Chris, is there anything you want to add before we wrap this up? I was just kind of curious. If there's what's the next set of uh, ventures that either y'all will be pursuing here in the near future, um, other than maybe collaborating on the second album. I'm not well, no, sure. Uh, really... Yeah, go ahead, Bill. Uh, I was going to say I'm not sure I really have an answer to that. Uh, I like to see one thing through before I get my fingers into the next one. I'm still I'm starting to work on the next batch of beats now, and I'm working on another uh, regular Spruik album. But uh, other than that, I'm just excited for this to become a part of the community and ride that out from there. Uh, working on some written stuff. Uh, first of all, uh, Jerry, Dr. Dre Thompson has uh, been in the been in the lab for for years now and we're hoping to bring him back to life with regards to uh to his written work and uh um Michael J Flores is putting something out this year that's going to be very exciting to look for and uh and then I got something in mind um more twists and turns just trying to do new things something in mind for uh for this fall but definitely want to wait till it gets a little closer to that before uh going too deep into that um, I don't know if we have time to get into it at all, but one other subject that um, has kind of been just a hot topic of the last five hours, what are you guys' thoughts on the, uh, and maybe this is outside the scope of the podcast, but the full New Phyrexia spoiler, you know, like uh, the entire, like the godbook of New Phyrexia getting spoiled. 
mean, that's kind of... I mean, uh, it, was actually, little... it was actually news that's to me because I wasn't aware of it until we started recording. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah Got to be yeah, on the internet, yeah, brother Chris. It's, it's like uh, an old, like, I mean, it's the earliest full spoiler, at least since the judgment thing, you know, back in, like, 2002 or whatever. But I think even earlier than that, like, it's definitely the biggest leak in the modern era. And, uh, like, just everybody has, like, the, like, the, uh, the entire, like, the a PDF containing the entire guidebook is available online. And uh, the, it's kind of disappointing in a lot of ways. I mean, it's great in the sense that, first of all, it's fortunate that the set turns out to be so awesome that uh, at least the set looks good and everything like that. But it's definitely disappointing, most particularly for uh, for the sites that really count on their preview cards, you know, their exclusive preview cards to spike traffic. You know? Right. Yeah, it's gonna, it'll probably harm um, both not only pre, uh, pre-sales type um, emotional turnout from the players, but it's going to definitely hurt some of the, like us, who we occasionally will get ourselves a promo card for a set. So it's going to take away the, the shock value and the surprise va- surprise factor that we have. So yeah, it'll I mean, be kind of a disappointment in that respect. But it's not the worst thing. I mean, it, it may be the worst in the modern era, but it's the whole release of Chronicles was by far the worst they probably ever had for a, for a leakage. Yeah, but that's not even the modern era, though. That's way, I mean, that was way, yeah. way, way back. I mean, because that was like a good four four months before the release of that event, or release of that set. The entire list of cards got got leaked out of what was being reprinted, and people were able to capitalize on a financial level. But that that was the worst probably of all time. But I mean, it's definitely the worst it's been in the in the last like five years. This is definitely. I mean, this is yeah, this is definitely. But it's it's interesting though that the uh, I mean. Well, it is somewhat bittersweet and sad, like imagining, like there's so many different cards that each one by itself would have been worthy of being the hot topic for a day. Um, it is what it is, and at least there are a bunch of awesome cards that all should be the hot topic. And it sounds like the first one in line is uh, Mental Mishap, uh, Mental Misstep, which is going to revolutionize Legacy. I mean, it is not an overstatement to say that this is one of the 20 most important cards in Legacy, one of the 20 best cards in Legacy, possibly much better. And this card is in a league with force of will. It's uh, only for powered formats like Legacy and Vintage. It's not, you know, not for uh, for standard. I mean, it's a good card for standard, but it's nowhere near that good. It's uh, just a Phyrexian blue instant counter-target spell with a converting mana cost of one, and you can pay its casting cost with either a blue or with two life. So, like any color can get it. And in Legacy, the entire format is defined by one drops. Having a zero mana answer to all of the format's best cards that anybody can use, I mean, it's just, like, it's going to completely change the face of the format. When you can just stop Lackey on the draw or Ethervile on the draw or Simply Divine Top on the draw, and, I mean, uh, it's going to, Providence is going to be really interesting because this, this card changes everything. How, I mean, you obviously thought about it and, and the conversations you've been having on Twitter with, Everybody in the legacy department, when it comes to this card, has been phenomenal. My other question is: is how quickly are people like yourself looking at these cards, going, "Okay, I can. This one's effective and standard. This one I could use." Are, are you already starting to mentally brew with this card, with these cards? Oh, absolutely. Although it's weird to call it brewing because we just call it playing legacy. This card, yeah. it, like you play with four cards, you play with four copies of this card. And then there's 56 other cards in your legacy deck. So I mean, I like I think people. I think it's. I'm probably in the minority right now, but the people that are in the same camp with me, uh, I think that we are going to win. I think that people will come around because this card is going to completely change what the format looks like. At least for the next few, like, and who knows? Maybe by the time the set comes out, people will have adjusted. But legacy moves a little bit slower than than other formats in terms of the evolution. Partly just because of how massive of a format it is but the uh yeah there's no question this card is already like we're already i mean that's that's like at the top of our to-do list because the next you know major event for us is grand prix providence which is legacy and legacy is you know just about the most fun format to brew in anyway and uh and this isn't the only card that changes legacy and there's a number of other cards that are going to be players in legacy you know there's at least half a dozen that are going to shake things up a bit for uh for Providence, but this one is head and shoulders above the rest. And, is this 
is this Wizards finally making good design on cards to think of all the formats when it comes to uh, this? I mean, well, I mean, Wizards, the people, I think people don't give Wizards enough credit. They, uh, they do design cards for other formats. I mean, like Ethersworn Canonist and, uh, you know, like little things like that where Mind Break Trap or, I mean, they, they do stick a few of those in each set, you know. I think this one just happens to be, you know, potentially one of the best they've done in quite a while, you know. Does that, but, s- I mean, does that speed up or slow down Legacy now? From a time perspective, because of the fact of any any deck, any color, can play this card. I think it slows it down. Um, it's weird because it's a zero mana spell, and it's great for forcing things through. But I think it actually slows things down because you know, once in the world where everybody plays four copies of this card, people are countering each other's mental mis- you know people keep mental mishap mishapping each other's mental mishaps, and um, you lose a lot of life which incentivizes people to play aggression, which ironically actually slows things down. You know, to be just because the, the nature of legacy is such that the aggro decks are usually the slow ones. You know, like combo decks kill you so fast that, you know, you never had a chance to attack them to death. But yeah. this, if everybody's trading their cards back and forth, it's a little bit like a thought seize in the sense that um, when everybody keeps doing this to each other, it slows things way down, you know? Plus, the one deck that, like... A, a control deck, this card is perfect in, and an aggressive deck, this card is perfect in. But the one deck that it's not as good—I mean, it's still good, but it's not as good—is a control, is a combo deck. A dedicated combo deck doesn't always really doesn't want to be playing such reactive cards, and so then this ends up just hurting every every you know every pure combo deck, especially since all the pure combo decks use one mana spells, and so this card is super good against them. You know, whether they're using mana bond or uh, Rituals, or No Bad Angkor, or Elves, or whatever, you know, or High Tide, or anything. So oh, I yeah, think it slows it down, and I think it's going to, it's like, it's almost, it's almost like opposite Flash. It's going to be, like, its impact is probably in the same league as how big of an impact Flash receiving errata had, but in the opposite direction. Instead of making the format completely degenerate, and unplayable um, and unfun. It's going to make it more interactive. It's going to slow it down, and it's going to be, at least until people figure out what the right algorithm is, it's going to be super interesting. It might get annoying if it comes down to just whoever draws you know, more of this card, but uh, I have a feeling it's not really going to go that way. I have a feeling people are going to adapt, and people are going to start getting creative, you know, figuring out ways to punish people for, for playing lots of this card. It definitely sounds like Oh, yeah, because I always look at things from a standard per- perspective and, you know, to think about how excited you are about this and how, like you said, once this conversation started, it's like the Twitter universe just blew up on this. It just seems like they don't want to stop talking about it, which is phenomenal that a card like this can draw so much passion quickly. Well, and, that's the thing. Legacy is a, a place where people can, where wizards can, can, uh, can, make slightly more, you know, take bigger risks. Because it's okay to ban cards in Legacy. And it's okay if they create some powerful new interaction that completely just, you know, puts the format on its head. Because, I mean, it's Legacy. You want to keep shaking it up. Standard, you've got to be much more careful because if you break things, you know, it becomes not fun. But in Legacy, it takes an awful lot to actually break Legacy, you know? So the fact that this is shaking things up is just a good thing. But the way, you, like, you mentioned the uh, always thinking about things in terms of standard or just defaulting to that. And uh, I think one of the reasons why this got jumped on so quick wasn't just the people who always think of things in terms of legacy. Because, like, I mean, LSV and I play a lot more standard than we do legacy. But the two of us both immediately, the first topic on both of our minds was that this is the greatest card ever. And, uh, and the reason is, like, when looking at the spoiler, on every single card we look at it, and every single card ask ourselves, what is the purpose of this card? What do you do with this card? What would it take to make this card as good as this card can be? And so when we're just going through the list of every single card, trying to imagine this, the world where this card is at its best, when we eventually get to mental mishap, we're like, okay, what is the... This card is obviously, you know, it's, it's, it has a lot of parallels to the card spells there, which was a great card, but where is this card at its best? And then the immediate thing that pops into both of our heads is, well... It's at its best in the format where all the best cards cost one. Legacy. 
Wow. <laughs> is there any other card that I, I don't want to, it won't nearly draw as much passion as this one has, but is there any other card that you saw right away that, that has caught your eye? Oh, absolutely. Now, are you talking about just for Legacy or for any format? Well, why don't we stay with Legacy because that is the next one that we're concerned about. Uh, the next major uh, GP is Legacy. So there's like the, there's this card, Gitaxmia, uh, I, don't, I don't even know what it's called, but it's just like Peak, but it's a sorcery. But you can pay. It's okay. So it's a Phyrexian blue mana for a sorcery that you can uh, look at your you can look at target player's hand and then uh, draw a card. So instead of paying the blue mana, you can pay two life if you want. So it's already like a peak. It's a sorcery instead of an instant. And peak was a pretty good card. But what becomes amazing about it is the ability to do it for for free. It gives you most. It gives you like all the best parts of street race, or most of the. It's like a good street race, but it also lets you see your hand or their hand while you do it, and it lets you not have to pay the two life if you just pay a single mana. And a lot of decks that would use street race are the exact type of decks that would love to know what's in their opponent's hand. Plus. It, it combines so well with so many cards like Metal Mage or Cabal Therapy. And the fact that it has, I mean, it builds your storm count. It's a blue card to pitch to Force of Will. I mean, there are a lot of decks that would love to play Force of Will but don't have enough blue cards. This card's the perfect blue card, you know, because you can cycle it for one or cycle it for free, depending on what your mana situation looks like. And uh, paying life in Legacy is not a big issue. So, wow. I mean, I think that card is amazing. Yeah, I think that card is definitely, that card is definitely amazing. And then, um, the uh, off the top of the head, um, there's a spell that's one black black. Target creature gets minus five. Mi- uh, sorry, it's one Frexian black, Frexian black. So each of those Frexian black mana symbols, you can pay two life instead of. So you can you know play a card for one, two, or three. And uh, target creature gets minus five, minus five, and it's an instant. And that's just amazing because um, I mean, snuff out is a card that sees play in Legacy already. And giving a creature minus five, minus five is much better than destroying a non-black creature in Legacy. Because killing creatures like Tombstalker or Dark Confidant is is very important. And uh, plus, Snuffout gets stopped by Gattachee and requires you to actually have a swamp. This card, you can pay, you can play this card for just a single colorless mana. Even if you're color, you know, even if you're color screwed and you don't have your black mana. Or, heaven forbid, you're not even playing black. This is a Swords to Plowshares type card that a mono blue deck could use. And it kills Gattachee because its casting cost is under, but it, it kills everything. I mean, it kills our confidant. It, you know, usually it kills Farmagoyce even. And so for one colorless mana to have a plow that... And, and, the, and the best part is you can do it for one mana, and they won't be able to mental misstep it. Mis, uh, misstep it. Whereas if you play a Swords to Plowshares, they can mental misstep it. So I think, I mean, that card's going to be... That card is going to be excellent. So how do you, I mean, you, you're going to have to redesign your decks to work to avoid these as well as have them to be able to do that. Are there slots available in most of your legacy decks to do this? Uh, I mean, people are, I think, I think people are going to, it's, it's a great time for a deck builder because it's an opportunity to take advantage of uh, an awful lot of people are just going to be playing outdated decks that are basically just their old deck. Whereas I think that some of these cards have such a dramatic impact that you're going to have to start from the ground up. You know, like when you know that everybody just has access to this incredible new removal spell and everybody has a free counter spell that counters one casting cost spells, I think you gotta, you you got to completely change the like what your deck's built on. You know, like I call into question, what are you doing playing a deck that the only way you win is when you play Ather, Vile, or Goblin, Lackey if there's this world where everybody just has all these free answers to it, you know? Well, it definitely, yeah. And then also, what about High Tide? That kind of ruins the whole High Tide mechanic, mechanic with that card. Oof. I mean, and High Tide is not a deck that can, that can always just plan on countering your, your, your counterspell. I mean, a lot of the time, the High Tide deck uh, wants to bottleneck you on mana, and they always just sort of figure, okay, well, if you're a deck that has Force of Will, it'll be hard for me, but we'll just hang out and, uh, you know, eventually fight some fight later. But this card... Every aggro deck should afford this. And so then it's like such a nightmare trying to play a high tide deck where the person can just, you know, stop you from casting high tide. And what are you supposed to do? Force the will this card? And if you end up, you know, just playing mental mishap yourself, then you end up with, in the situation where you just have less cards to work with and less life to work with, which favors the aggressive deck. Wow. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it, in many ways, it's actually helped people like yourself for Providence to be able to just sit there and go, now you have actually time to put it together, to put the deck together okay, you want to play. See, me personally, I'd rather 
we didn't get the, the I would rather we didn't get the cards until the day before because I mean from from my own personal because Providence is what is that? That's like seven weeks away. Yeah, more than that, right? Something like that. In in uh, six or seven weeks away, I certainly don't need six or seven weeks to to build a deck. I mean, like I just like within uh, within five minutes of having the spoiler in my hands, I knew I was going to play that card in Providence. So I mean, like me personally, I'd rather just get the cards the day before because if Providence was tomorrow, I feel like an, the vast majority of people wouldn't know to play that card. You know. And since everybody's going to talk about it, they're going to. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that it. there's still a huge advantage because uh, I mean, this is definitely an opportunity for people to uh, to build decks. And I mean, God, if you don't love to brew, you have no soul. <laughs> but no, I mean, this this uh, I, th- I think this. I mean, it, it it is what it is. So there's the ups and the downs. Down in the more people have time to figure out what's going on, but up in that at least the cards are interesting enough that uh, that they're going to radically, you know, they're going to call for radical new designs. It's going to completely change the landscape of the format. So how soon before we see the first article from you on this? Uh, I mean, I, I have an article that's going up in like half an hour from mm-hmm. the time of this cast, which is my second article of this week. So I, uh, I doubt they're going to let me write another article, but I mean... <laughs> That's why I'm kind of just writing the article on Twitter or on Facebook or, you know, and on here. Because, I mean, by the time Monday rolls around, uh, hopefully the world will be aware of the joys of this card. But if they're not, I will be sure to remind them. Well, on that note, we're at the hour point, And I definitely would love to keep this conversation going because we could talk spoilers all night long. But one more time, Bill, let's let's talk about the album quick. Let's... It's going to be available May 2nd. May correct? 2nd. Um, May all 2nd. across the net, most of the major sites, but especially uh, iTunes and Star City and Channel Fireball, among others. Um, $9.99. It's just uh, 16 tracks and a bunch of fun and uh, just a real magic music experience. Yes. And again, uh, thank you both for your time. I know this was, you know, apologize for being a little late, but family got in the way. Uh, and, oh, and, Thank you both for your time. Chris, is there anything you want to add before we wrap this up? All right, just uh, thank you very much for your time, and it's been a pleasure having the uh, conversation. All right, have a great night, guys. Oh, Enjoy hey, uh, him to Turok. Hey, yeah, oh, have absolutely. a great night, and uh, thanks for having us. Oh, yes. thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, both. Later. Self-indulgent? You haven't seen anything yet. Let's go, go and get your grimy with the rhyme style line See, now never mind the crazy times behind me But I'd like to mention how thankful I am for everyone that reads my article Star City Games, Channel, Fireball, Legion Events And R.I.W. MTG Mom and MTG Salvation Mana Nation, Quiet Speculation The Magic Show and the Starkington Post The podcasters casting from coast to coast Top 8 Magic, Yo MTG Taps Men of Magic and MTG Cast Limited resources, mana deprived MTG the source, 60 cards, GG's live TCG playoff, the 1802 drop Blogs by Jerry, AJ5 with Flores, stop Pro play. I'm thankful for Coral 
Flash, of course. I'll learn both this generation and before. Valencia Chase Rare's actual inventor, inspired by a burn deck built Red Dragon Store. Made next level blue, control cool. More gifts decks than most would admit to. Invented Dark Band, and I don't even modo. You think Nasif was my only bullet in Kyoto? Five color blood, cascade control, please. Yeah, about 30 decks starting 5C. Reanimator, green, white, crestial, no Grixis, and Tezzeret full. And of course, old blue, white control invented Jason San Diego. Jason and